right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25, and if you're able to stand as we read God's Word, we're going to be looking at the next furnishing of the tabernacle, which is the golden candlestick tonight, Exodus chapter 25, just want to thank again the Marshall family and just uh, uh, thank you all, Riverside Baptist Church, you've just been so kind and generous to our family and, and just the fellowship has been sweet and we're so thankful for, for you all. And it's just been a blessing to be here. And so thank you for also allowing our, our family, our kids, to be here. Three of our four kids. Uh, our oldest son, Jacob, is back in uh, Glendale. He's 22. And uh, so he's back at home. It's good to have my mom, Donna, here from El Dorado, Kansas. She's a member of uh, Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Ron Jones. You all know Ron Jones, don't you? Crazy man. Yep, yep. So uh, is he, can he hear this, maybe? All right, so... But uh, so it's good to be here. I just want I just want to say thank you for for everything and thank you for the prayers. I know you, there's a lot going on this week. There's been a lot taking place. A lot of folks who need specific prayer. And I just want to thank you for your prayers and also thank you for your prayers for little Brooklyn. And uh, she's at home and and uh, her eyes getting really swollen. They had to go in through her leg and with a modern technology, they went in through her leg and went through the arteries and went up into her actual eyeball and uh, dispersed the chemo. Uh, that way, and so we won't know for four weeks whether it's done its job or not, but her eyes really swollen, and it looks really bad, but she doesn't know it. She just says her eye hurts, and no, we're not telling her, you know, <laughs> well, she's only two and a half, almost three, but you can carry a conversation on with her like she's a 25-year-old. It's the most amazing thing. She's so sharp, and so we're only giving her limited information, <laughs> and so, but I, can, I appreciate your prayers for her. I just want to say thank you for all that you've done for us this week, and it has been a blessing, and so Exodus chapter 25, I want you to look in verse 31. Exodus 25 and verse 31, and if there's, I think Brother Marshall mentioned that there's visitors. If there's visitors here tonight, boy, I want to invite you to come back on Sunday when Brother Marshall will be in the pulpit, and I won't be disappointed as they open up God's Word and just thank the visitors for being here today, but make sure you come back and hear Pastor Marshall preach and let the good folks here at Riverside minister to you, and, and it'll be a blessing. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers, and there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the, to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. So everyone with me already? You got this all figured out in your head? <laughs> right. All right. So, but anyway, <laughs> verse 36. It's a little tedious here. We're going to show you a picture, and it'll all be cleared up here in just a second. Verse 36, their their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be uh, one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Verse 39, of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look thou, here's the most important part, and look thou that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount, Moses, just... You know, what I showed you in the mount, that's what I want you to make. Now jump over to chapter 37. Chapter 37, now hold your spot in 25 because that's going to be our main text tonight. But chapter 37 in verse 17, chapter 37 in verse 17, Moses writes, And he made the candlestick of pure gold of beaten work, made he the candlestick, his shaft, and his branch, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers were of the same. Chapter 37, verse 18 and six branches going out of the sides thereof, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side thereof, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side thereof. Three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch, a knop and a flower, and three bowls made like almonds in another branch, a knop and a flower. So throughout the six branches going out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds, his knops and his flowers. Verse 21, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same and an up under two branches of the same, according to the six branches going out of it. Their knops and their branches were of the same. All of it was one beaten work of pure gold, and he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold made he it and all the vessels thereof. One more spot, chapter 39 and verse 37. 
Chapter 39 and verse 37. The pure candlestick with the lamps thereof, even with the lamps to be set in order, and all the vessels thereof, and the oil for light, because there he mentions the oil. Father, we just come into your presence again. Just pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. I ask that just for a few moments tonight, Lord, we would just uh, let loose of those things that are, that are um, uh, dragging for our attention or vying for our attention. Help us to focus, Lord, on what you would have for us tonight. Help us to be uh, ready hearers, Lord. Help us to be uh, attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Help us to focus, Lord, on what you would have to speak to us tonight and not be distracted by the things of the world. Just for a few moments, Lord, arrest our attention and help us draw closer to you in all that we say and do in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> growing up as a little boy, I grew up there. You know, Temple Baptist Church, Ron Jones is the pastor there. I started attending that church, my mom and I and our family, in uh, January of 1980. And uh, Brother, um, uh, um, what was the guy's name? Brother, uh, Brother Larry Moff. I don't know if you know Brother Larry Moff. He was the pastor at that time there at Temple Baptist Church. And I had been uh, um, in Kansas. I you know, was born in Tucson, but I grew up in Kansas, and we started attending uh, Temple Baptist Church. But as a little boy, we grew up out in the country, uh, about seven miles east of El Dorado. And I was one of those out in the country growing up as a little kid. I was one of those little boys who, who didn't mind having a nightlight on when he slept. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? Just have a little nightlight right there. You know, growing up out there in the country, there's no city lights in the middle of nowhere where the lights, you know, when the lights were turned off, it's pretty dark for a little kid. And so my bedroom down the hallway, there's a utility room on the other side of the hallway, just a little bit down. And so, you know, a little, we'd leave the light on and leave the door shut almost all the way just to help me out with just a little bit of light. Anyone besides me like that when you were growing up? <laughs> Three of you. I, I think more of you than that. Matter of fact, you ought to be proud of me. I just weaned myself off of this about two weeks ago. And so I'm... Um, now, in Florida, I lived in Florida for 16 years, started the Faith Baptist Church. In Florida, during the rainy season in the summer, it was nothing for us to lose power at the house for extended periods of times, especially during hurricane season. Hurricane would come through, power would be out, and, and we always had candles ready. You know, whenever the storm would come through or there was a named storm out in the Atlantic or, or in the Gulf of Mexico, I'm just telling you what, when we, you know, that's the good thing about hurricanes. You can see them coming for a long way off. Tornadoes are just right there. But we'd see a storm, and we knew it was coming, and so we would get all the candles and get everything prepared, you know, and things of that, of that nature, just to give us much needed light if it was dark. And we like light. Human beings, in, in general, we like light because it dispels the darkness. And remember, we talked about that last night, I believe it was, that Jesus Christ is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. He does not allow darkness into His presence. That's why we have to have our hearts right before Him. But we don't like darkness either. We don't like the darkness mainly because we don't know what's in it. You know, I'm not afraid of the dark. I just, I'm, I'm afraid of what might be out there that I can't see. So darkness is almost always associated with evil. You know, because you can hear people sometimes say, well, that, there's a lot of spiritual darkness in that town. And what they're saying is there's a lot of evil stuff going on in that town. Or, or darkness prevailed and the forces of evil took over. So when we talk about darkness, it's always almost associated with evil. And the Bible corroborates the thought that darkness and evil are common bedfellows. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So keep this in mind as we're talking about this tabernacle and the Old Testament priests and what they're doing. You know, as a born-again believer, you are a royal priesthood before God. You are a priest before Him, being able to serve and minister of the holy things. He says, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you, listen, out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So we're not to have... Things to do with darkness. It's most definitely a dark world in which we live. The forces of evil and wickedness, I'm just telling you, what are prevalent in our society. The shootings that have taken place down in Texas, and I think it was Iowa, if I'm not mistaken, Ohio, or the other shooting. I'm telling you what, a wicked world in which we live. Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm just telling you what, people, it is getting worse and it's getting worse. You need to pray for those communities and the, the, the lost souls that were, their souls that were taken with that horrendous event. But it doesn't take long watching the evening news to turn off the evening news because it's too depressing to watch. I mean, you, you watch it for a little bit and you say, I can't watch this anymore. It's so, it, it's so horrible. And, and so <clears throat> the only way to dispel darkness, listen, the only way to dispel darkness is to provide much needed light, isn't there? I mean, that's the only way we're going to get rid of darkness is to provide much needed light. 
So thus far in our study of the Old Testament tabernacle, we've looked at three of the seven objects found in the tabernacle. Is this Tuesday? Is this Tuesday night? Yeah, Tuesday night. We've looked at three of the, of the seven objects found in the tabernacle and courtyard. We looked at the gate, which was the place of entry. Remember the gate? The, the gate is the very first thing that we talked about. Listen, if you're going to have any fellowship with the Father, you've got to go in through the right gate. You've got to go through Jesus Christ. Now, you know, no, no one coming to the Father but by me, he says. And then we talked about the brazen altar. The very first thing we have to deal with is, is the need for reconciling. And that's with the brazen altar. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be the shedding of blood, which was pictured in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And I wholeheartedly concur with Pastor Marshall that some say we have a bloody religion, but I'm so thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Man alive, am I thankful for that. And I think how apropos and how wonderful to sing, saved by the blood of the crucified one. And I don't ever want to get away from that. I don't want to ever dumb down our hymnals, if you will. There's so many people wanting to dumb down their Bibles and dumb down their music and, and, and get, bring the world's music in so we all feel good and warm and fuzzy. I, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for good Christ-honoring music that talks about the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have the, the, the brazen altar, which speaks of... Speaks of, speaks? speaks of reconciling, and then we moved over to the, the laver of brass. And the laver of brass, remember, that, that very specifically deals with our need for cleansing. On a daily basis, we need to have cleansing. Let me ask you this. Hopefully, hopefully you spent some time at the laver of brass today. Hopefully you spent some time there with your walk, in your walk with the Lord and, and, and got some things taken care of with Him. And tonight, we see the progression once we have received atonement or the sacrifice, and now that we've been cleansed with the labor, so we're feeling pretty good, amen? We've got, we, we, Lord willing, everyone of us in here know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. We've gone through the right door, and we realize the need for a sacrifice, and we're trying to put ourselves on the altar, and we're keeping our sins confessed before Him, and we're trying to keep our heart right before Him. So, so what's next for the born-again believer? Well, tonight we're going to go ahead and step into the tabernacle tonight, into the tent, and tonight we're going to start talking about the need for service, the need for work. I've, got my, I've been saved, I've got my heart right, so what am I going to do? I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve in the, in the holy place. I'm going to serve in the tabernacle because that's what we've been built to do, and we have been built to serve. Everyone with me tonight? Don't lose, don't, don't lose me yet here. And so it's time to step in. To st- it's time to step to begin ministering in the holy place. It's time to start serving the Lord. It's time to start doing something for Jesus Christ. And, and so as we continue in our study of the tabernacle and actually enter inside the tabernacle, we find the next furnishing, which is the golden candlestick. Guys, if you'll go ahead and put that up, which speaks of our place of light. Now again, you know, remember, this is what it doesn't look like. Okay, I don't, do I have to say that every single time? I'm just saying, you know, I actually saw... Brother Marshall, I was able to go to the Israel to the Holy Land in 2005 or somewhere around in there, and uh, we actually saw they have all the furnishings for the tabernacle. It's all there. They have everything they need. Anyone besides me ever been there to Israel? You've been to the Temple Institute? And they have, there's the golden candelabras actually there. It's under a big glass dome. You can't take it away. I mean, as you know, you can't get it. But they have everything that they need. I, I'm told if the temple, were, uh, if they wanted to have a temple up and running, they could have it up and running in seven months from today. And so everything is in its place. And so this is kind of a general idea of the candlestick. And you can see that. It's like word-spirit.org is where the pictures were taken. But this is kind of an idea of what it looks like. And so for this furnishing, we actually find quite a bit of information on the design, except for the actual size. We don't know the, don't know the actual size of it, but you see some of the design. As to the making of the lampstand, some believe the candlestick was probably the most beautiful and ornate furniture in the tabernacle. It was most definitely the first thing that the priest would encounter, you know, so as they hit the brazen laver, the brass laver and for cleansing, and then they walked into the tabernacle to minister about the holy things. The first thing that they would probably see is this candlestick as it brought forth the much-needed light in the tabernacle. Of course, they would smell the incense from the altar of incense. I can't wait till we get there. I think that's going to be Thursday night, Lord willing. And I'm still praying for the rapture, amen? I'm still praying for the rapture, but Lord willing, barring the rapture, Thursday night we're going to talk about the brazen altar, or the altar of incense. And so the priest would walk into this room and, and just imagine the sense of smell and the, the, the sweet incense that filled the holy place and the light from this candlestick. I'm just telling you what, it must have been an amazing thing. And so as they peered into the room without windows, because that's what the tabernacle was like, a beautiful glow illuminated that table of showbread, Lord willing, we're going to look at tomorrow night, and the altar of incense, and this candlestick. 
So there had to be a sense of reverence and a sense of awe as they walked in. I can just imagine over being, uh, just over their whole being as they, as, as, um, as it would over any person entering such an atmosphere in the holy place of God and knowing that now things are getting serious here. You know, there's been the atonement and there's been the cleansing and now I'm coming in to do service unto the Lord and it's getting serious. You have the candlestick here over here on our left, the table of showbread on my right, the altar of incense right before me and then here's the veil and just on the other side of the veil is the Ark of the Covenant. Lord willing, we'll talk about that Friday night where the very presence of a holy God dwelt. I'm just telling you what, the priests were probably like shaking in their boots when they were going into this tabernacle because they didn't want to do anything wrong as they served the most holy God. And so it was a high privilege to enter into this tabernacle, and there were different courses that were set up for the priests to get in there or to go in there and to serve. And they had their courses by family, and they went in, where again, just a few feet over was the presence of God. So the design and the materials of the candlestick were exact and precise, as we see in our text. The candlestick was to be made of pure gold, hammered out as one piece, as seen in chapter 25 and verse 31. It's, it's one piece. In, in chapter 25 and verse 31, thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work. Shall the candlestick be made, his shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. Think about this. The entire candlestick was to be made of one piece of gold, the base, the stem, the center stem, and the flower-like uh, cups, the buds and the blossoms, Verse 39 tells us the candlestick was, uh, and its accessories would require, listen to this, about 75 pounds of gold. 75 pounds of gold. And some, some commentators say up to 90 pounds of gold. Man alive, and, uh, you know. And I, I've heard when we were in Israel, you know, like, oh, they don't have this or they don't have that. Listen, if you told the Jewish nation, if you told Israel that, the, uh, that they could have permission to be on that holy mount today, and they were missing a few hundred pounds of gold, they would have it overnight, wouldn't they? It would take them about five minutes on GoFundMe or something like that to have that gold. They'd have everything they needed. And so this isn't, this, it's not too much of a, of a task to get this taken care of for them if they needed it. Verse uh, 32 through 38 tells us the candlestick was to have six branches. Three branches were to be on either side. Each branch was to have three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. The candlestick was to have four smaller flower-like cups, one flower bud under each pair of branches as found in verse 34. The candlestick was to have one blossom or bud under each pair of branches in verse 35. And the decorations in verse 36, the flower buds and branches were to be hammered out as one piece with the stem. Verse 37 tells us the seven lamps were to be made uh, for the candlestick and set so that they would reflect the light forward. And the lamp snuffers and trays were to be made of pure gold with the candlestick in verse 38. So part of the priest's ministry was to care for the candlestick. They would come in every morning and every evening and care for this candlestick. Its lamps were to, kept, were to be kept perpetually burning by filling them daily with pure olive oil. So they would come in and they would make sure that they were burning bright because there's nothing worse if you've ever been out camping and, and the, the wick goes down or the, the smoke and the burning of the eyes and you're like, oh man. So they would come in and they would trim it and keep it uh, with proper oil. So they trimmed each lamp every evening and morning, again with these pure gold tongs and snuff dishes. So as we look at this candlestick again tonight, and the goal this whole week is to look at these different items and certainly apply them to our life today. Brother Marshall and I were talking you know, today about the, 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 the tabernacle and all the elements, and these things are fun and it's interesting and to look at, but I'm just telling you what, we need to draw some application in our life today as we look at these things, because I believe that's why the Lord preserved them for us, they're in samples for us, and they're pictures, the book of Hebrews tells us, they're a shadow of things to come. And so as we look at this candlestick, there's certainly a few things that we can glean here. The candlestick teaches us the very simple fact, and this might, you know, very plain and simple here, but the fact that a person needs to have light and illumination in order to know God and to serve God. If we're going to do anything for the cause of Jesus Christ, if we're going to serve after there's been a sacrifice and after there's been cleansing, then we have to have the proper light as we're going to minister in the holy things. And as, and as I say minister in the holy things, I'm talking about you and me today as we minister and as we serve God. Because service to the Lord is a holy thing. It is an important event in the life of a believer to serve Him. It is super important that we serve God and we minister to people. And, and so the candlestick teaches us that you have to have light. Because keep in mind, in this tabernacle, there were no windows. So if he was going to go in and change out the showbread or 
or put incense on the, on the altar of incense. And if they didn't have light, there's no way they could possibly serve. You might say, well, that's kind of silly. That's kind of simple. Well, that's a simple, it's a, it's a true fact. It, it, it's a good point there. And, and so the tabernacle would have been in complete darkness without the candlestick. It was the candlestick that gave light and illuminated the holy place so that the priests could serve God, so that they could minister at the table of showbread, burn at the altar of incense, so they could actually enter into the presence of God, they had to have proper illumination. Now, without the candlestick, there could be no ministry for the things of God. And we can certainly understand that the candlestick symbolizes the need of man, our need of man today, and women today, uh, for, for light and illumination in order to know and to serve God. If you're going to do anything for the cause of Jesus Christ today, you're going to have to have illumination from the Word of God. You're going to have to have wisdom that only comes from Him. Because on our own, there's no possible way to either know God or know how to properly serve Him without illumination, without God's Word. And you might say, oh man, it's so simple. I know it's simple, but I'm just telling you what, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians in this world who are trying to serve God and trying to do things without the benefit of the Word of God. Because they know people, they know how to do things, or they know this, or they know that, and they're trying to function, and they're trying to do things, and they're even trying to serve in a ministry in a local church without the benefit of spending time in His Word and getting the direction that they need. Because on our own, we can't know. A finite man cannot possibly know an infinite God without illumination. We have the revealed Word of God, and we read it, and He illuminates our hearts and our minds and gives us wisdom, because thankfully, all throughout the Bible, we have been given clear instruction on how to serve a holy God. Some will say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do, or I just don't know God's will in my life. How about we try getting into God's Word and and asking Him and getting the wisdom that we need to serve Him? We know what He expects from us. We understand His precepts and His directions. When we get into His Word, He's given us His light. He has illuminated our minds to the truth of the Word of God. Listen, folks, if we're just willing to follow it. I mean, direction is right here before us. He gives us that wisdom and that understanding. Hence the need to have a systematic approach to our Bible reading. You know, every once in a while, Brother Marshall, on a Sunday night, I'll I'll just take some time. I don't do it every Sunday night, but, you know, every three weeks, every month, when I remember, you know, from time to time, before I preach on Sunday night, I'll just say, hey, where are we in our Bible reading? Where are you in your Bible reading? And, you know, let me see your hand. You know, not here tonight, but I'll I'll be like, let me see your where are your hands? And, so one hand will come up, you know, Second Peter, you know, another hand will come up on the book of Exodus, in Exodus and Proverbs, another hand. And my goal is, is to ultimately one day maybe see everyone's hand go up and say, here is where I am in my daily Bible reading. Here is where I am in my daily Bible reading. And I know that just because they don't raise their hand, it doesn't mean that they're not reading. Some people are just like, I'm not going to raise my hand. <laughs> you know, they're just, I'm not going to do that. I'm reading my Bible, the Lord knows, you know, but still, the point is, is that every single one of us need to be in our Bible somewhere, reading the Word of God, and being illuminated with the, by the Holy Spirit of God, of the things of God, so that we properly know how to serve in the things of God. Everyone with me on that? So if I were to ask that question tonight, would you be able to raise your hand? Would you be able to raise your hand tonight and say, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in this book, or I'm in that book, or I, I'm here... Maybe there might be some here tonight that say, you know what, I just haven't been, I haven't been reading. You know, I've just been busy, I've been, things have been going on. And I, but how can we effectively minister and be the light that He wants us to be unless we're in His Word? A second thing the candlestick does, of course, is it points to Jesus Christ as the light of the Word, as the light of the world. This candlestick points to Christ. Christ is the true light who has come before us to show us the way. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. John 1.4 tells us, in him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. Uh, John 8.12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I mean, we could go on and on, but I think we get the point that Jesus Christ is the true light. He is the candlestick. It, this picture this pictures Jesus Christ. So we understand that we have to have illumination to be able to see, to minister about the things of God. And second of all, we understand the most important point, that the candlestick, of course, points to Jesus Christ. But third, what I want to kind of look at, and where we're kind of going here this evening, the, the candlestick pictures God's people, Israel, as the light of the world, as God's witness to the world. This is important. It, it, it pictures... God's people, Israel, as the light of the world, as God's witness 
to the world because the scriptures emphasize that over and over again. In, in Zechariah, excuse me, Isaiah 42:6, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. You know, Abraham, Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons that Father Abraham, you are one of them, so am I. That's a sign that I'm supposed to stop right there on the song. But Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, wasn't he? His family was. The nation of Israel was to be a light of the Gentiles. They were supposed to share the gospel, share the message, share God's word with the world, with the Gentiles. And they did not do that, did they? As a matter of fact, the Jews, the nation of Israel, not only did they not share the word of God, the oracles of God, the commandments of God with the Gentiles, they actually started living like the Gentiles and becoming like them. And when you start living like the world and becoming like them, one thing you're not going to do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You're you're going to start assimilating to be like they are, and that's exactly what the Gentiles did. So the Lord didn't set up Israel and dwell with them to keep him all to themselves. He says, listen, I'm not... I'm not having you come through the proper door and, and, and the brazen altar and the brass laver to, to minister to, just to, to, uh, to yourselves. You're supposed to be a light to everyone else out there. They were to be a witness, to be a light to the other nations of God's goodness and His grace. But Israel failed to be that light to the Gentiles. Israel failed to be that light to the Gentiles throughout the centuries. And it wasn't until the time of the apostles that the light was finally showed to others. Everyone with me on that? Is still with me? Or good. It's all good. <laughs> but Israel failed to be that light, and it wasn't until the time of the apostles that the light was finally shared with others. Now, now, so, so where does that leave us today? Well, now, listen folks, you and I, we are to be that light to share the light of Jesus Christ. That's what your job is, and that's what my job is. So, so here's the gist of the message tonight. Here's what I'm trying to get. Just as the Lord expected Israel to be that light, He now expects from us to do the same, to be a light in His stead. That's what He wants us to do. He wants you and me to be that light. The question that we have to answer is, are we willing to be that light to the world? Am I willing to be used by God? Because remember I talked about, we saw that in Peter, we're a precious nation, we're a peculiar people, we're a royal priesthood. And so as these priests were the ones to minister, you and I are a priest today. We've already seen that we've gone through the right door. We've had the, the, the altar for reconciliation. Lord willing, we've spent time at the brass laver. And what God wants us to do today as we step in to minister to the holy things is to be willing to be used by Him. But the question comes about, am I willing to be that light that God wants me to be? Because the, Gen- the, the Jews didn't do it. The nation of Israel did not do that. Finally, at the time of the apostles, it began to spread. And now you and I are to be that light. Because let's be real honest with ourselves this evening. Are we sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? I mean, it's a good question. Am I, just think about this, put yourself here, am I actively sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? Am I shining the light of Jesus Christ? Am I making, am I making a difference in the lives of others? Am I serving? Am I, being act- am I actively involved in the ministry and the work of the Lord? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at the New Testament example of this. Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus Christ was speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 14. Very familiar passage of Scripture tonight. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. He says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set uh, on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So here Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. I mean, he's talking to the, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the children of Israel. And we can say he's talking to us today, and he tells us that ye are the light of the world. Let me tell you what, for a born-again believer, that's quite a compliment. You know, you can give me quite a few compliments, but to tell me I'm the light of the world from the Savior himself, that's, that's a pretty big deal right there. And so God is light, Christ is light, 
And the believer is also said to be the light of the world. The Holy Spirit here is saying that the believer is what God and Christ are. The believer, listen to this, the believer is light. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are light. I mean, that's just a big deal right there. No, I don't believe there's any greater compliment could be paid to someone like you and me. The believer from our, our Lord and Savior is to be able to call me and you light. We're light. But let's understand something very important here. To be identified with God also is a, is a great compliment, but it's an, an enormous responsibility. If he's going to call me light, then I think I'm going to have to shine. You know what I'm saying? I, I think I'm going to have to do something about that. Because, listen, whatever light is and whatever light does, the believer is to be and to do. Everyone with me on that? Whatever light does and whatever light is, the believer is to be and to do. And so Jesus says the disciple is to be like him, the light of the world. Therefore, you know, I gotta, I'm just saying in, in, my, in, my, in my life, as a born-again believer, I need to rethink things just a little bit here. I need to think about things that I do and where I go and how I serve and, and things that are going on in my life because I'm to be like Him. Therefore, we have, to, we have to think about this because light is and does several things. I was just doing some looking, and I have scriptures for all this, but I'm going to sk- skip the scriptures because of the sake of time. But I want you to listen to what light is and what light does. And as we look at these things, these characteristics, let's ask ourselves, hey, can this be said of me? Can this be said of me as, as what light is and does? Number one, light is clear and is pure. Uh, it is clean, that it is, it is good, it is right, and it is true. A- am I clean? Am I pure? Is my life where it needs to be? Or do I need to go back here and spend some more time at the laver and make certain that my heart is where it needs to be? Or maybe I'm not even, maybe you're here tonight you're not even saved. You've got to go back over here and come to the altar and go through the right door and go through Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of sins. But can, can, I, can that be said of me that my life is clear and my life is pure? Number two, light penetrates. That's what it does. It penetrates by nature. It cuts through and eliminates darkness. Number three, light enlightens. It enlarges a person's vision and knowledge of an area. So when light comes on, maybe you've been outside and you say, hey, bring me the light, bring me the light. Or you're working on a vehicle and you, and you turn the light on and it just gives more clear information and enlarges our vision and knowledge of an area. Number four, light reveals. It opens up the truth of an area, a whole new world, and it clears up the way to the truth and to the life. You know, when you're dealing with someone and talking to them and they're confused or they just don't understand and they're just befuddled about the things of God. When light comes in, when your life comes into that situation, you ought to be able to reveal the truth of God's Word. Number five, light guides. It directs the way to go. It leads along the right path. Just follow the lights down that way and you'll be fine. You know, it's just right over there. See that light, the second light on the left? Go that way. Is that what's happening in your life? Are you directing the way to go? Which, if people were to follow your direction... Where would they go? Where would they be? Well, you know, I don't want to follow my direction. You know, I'm not quite where I need to be. Then get where you need to be so that you can lead. If everyone served how you served, how great of a serving church would this be? If everyone was as faithful as you are faithful, how, how faithful would this church be? If everyone gave like you gave, would we be able to meet tomorrow? Or, or would we be able to continue on with the revival services? If everyone prayed like you prayed or read like you... Everyone follow me on that? Light leads. And you need to lead, especially you fathers and husbands. You need to lead your family in righteousness. It's what you're supposed to do. It guides. It directs the way to go. Number eight, excuse me, number six, light strips away the darkness. Number seven, I like this one. What one author says, he he says, light eliminates chaos. I don't like chaos. I'm not a chaos fan. I don't like craziness. Sometimes it's like, okay, okay, we need to just stop. Everything hold off, you know. But with your life, as the light of the Word of God, as an example, do you eliminate chaos or do you add fuel to the fire? When we get involved, as things get better or things get worse? Philippians 2.15 talks about that. Number eight, light discriminates between the right way and the wrong way. It discriminates between the right way and the wrong way. Listen, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. I'm thankful for Pastor Marshall. I'm thankful for his example. Before he even was pastor, as, a, as an evangelist, 
we'd have him come into the church. And there's one thing about Pastor Marshall and many of our other friends that we hang out with. I'm telling you what, there, there's no holds bar on which way. There's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And we need to be men and women of light that say, no, this is right. And no, that, or yes, this is right. And no, that is wrong. And we're not going to do that. It is okay to step up and be light and say, no, son, no, daughter, no, no, honey, or, or, or no co-workers. We're not going to do that or we're not going to partake in that because it's wrong. You need to be light and step up and make certain we have a backbone and do what's right. Well, I judge not lest you be judged. That's out of context. That's complete. You know, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. Wait, what are you talking about? That's injurious and hateful and harmful judgment. But we are supposed to judge righteous judgment. That's what we're supposed to do. Light, light does that. It, it, it discriminates between the right way and the wrong way. Number nine, light warns. It warns. It warns of dangers that lie ahead in a person's path. If there's danger, the light's like, no, don't go, you know, stop, you need to hold on, don't do that. That's what we're supposed to do in our life. And number 10, light protects. I, I like this one. It protects. It protects a person from the dangers of darkness, from stumbling, falling, and injuring himself. Are, are we being that, that light that helps protect those around us and gives that, that comfort? Now, understanding some of the characteristics of light, again, we have to ask ourselves, are we emulating light by our life? Let's make this personal tonight, folks. We, we have to, well, yeah, light's good and all that. No, am I, am I in my life emulating this light? Are we purposefully being a light to those around us, or are we just living like the rest of the world? Is there any difference between us and the rest of the world? Do our coworkers know that there's something different about us? Do our neighbors know that there's something different about I'm just telling you what, folks, it needs to be, it needs, the rubber needs to hit the road in your life and in my life. Because I'm a royal priesthood and I'm supposed to be different and I'm supposed to be the light of the world which makes a change in everything that we do. I mean, amen. We're supposed to do that. And we, are we purposefully doing that? Because, listen, friend, you and I are it. I mean, we're it. You know, St. Joe, Missouri, I don't know how many good Baptist churches there are, how many Christians there are, I don't know, but I know at Riverside Baptist Church, you and I are it. That is it, because Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's what he said there in John chapter 9 and verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am here. But guess what, friends? He's not here any longer. He has been crucified. He was buried. He's gloriously resurrected the third day. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. His light is now in the lives of believers, whether we like it or not, you and I are reflections of Him. That's what we are. And look at it, right? It's right there in verse 14. Jesus said, ye, ye are the light. Every single one of us are the light, meaning, meaning this world, folks, has no other light. This world is not receiving light from the Boy Scouts. This world is not receiving light from the Girl Scouts. It's not receiving light from Walmart or Cabela's or anything else. This, you know where this, this dark world in which we live is receiving light? From you individually and from me. So how, how, lighter, how bright are we shining? I mean, we're, this is the hope of St. Joe, folks. This is the hope of this city. This is the hope of this community. The people sitting in here and other churches of like faith like this who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaching the truth of God's word. We are the hope of the world. It's a tremendous responsibility. I, I don't know if we're following this. It says, ye are it, ye are the light, you and I are the light, period. Therefore, according to Matthew chapter 4, our light is to be placed where its influence can be best used and felt. I'm not to take my light and say, and come to church and say, blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord, and sing out praises, no, yeah, praise the Lord, and all that, and then go home and not tell anyone, or go to work and not tell anyone, or, or, or live our lives and do all these things and never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to take our light where everyone can see it and say, look, at this, you know, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how he can change your life. Well, I thought that was the pastor's responsibility. I, don't, I thought that's what we paid the pastor and the staff to do. That's why, you know, that's what there's, no, listen, it's not just the pastor's job to serve and to bring people into this church. Everywhere we go, we are to be the light and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. You know, when you go buy a light bulb, and I hate buying light bulbs, man, the government's getting involved, you got to buy a certain light bulb, you know, and all. but when you go buy a, buy a light bulb at the store, you have a decision to make of what wattage you want, don't you? I think I'll get the 40 watt, nah, 
We might get this 60 watt. Hey, give me 100 watt. You know, give me something that's going to burn your eyeballs out when you turn it on. I like light. You know, I'm a big fan of light. And I want it bright because, as we know, light has different strengths, doesn't it? It can be strong. Light can be weak. Light can be bright. Light can be dim. In fact, light can be so dim and provide so little light that a person can stumble and fall. Man, like, turn the lights up. Is there, is there a knob on that thing? Can we turn these lights up? And everyone in this room, folks, listen. Everyone in this room is a light of one brightness or another. We are. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are it. You are the light of the world. And your brightness level, your contrast, if you will, is either up here or down here. Some Christians are shining brightly and some are not shining very brightly at all. God has made you a light, Christian, and it's our responsibility to shine brightly and share it with others. Well, my light's just not as bright as it needs to be. How in the world can I get my light brighter? Well, it's actually quite simple. We have to draw closer to the candlestick. We have to draw closer in our fellowship with Him and through our, through our prayer time and through our Bible reading and through our devotion to Him. And I'm just telling you what, the light will shine bright. Make sure you're at the, on the altar and been to that labor. So the simple question tonight is, what ministry... Let's, let's make this, let's get, hit, hit the rubber on the road again. What ministry, what function do you have at Riverside Baptist Church? What part do you have? Because I'm just telling you what, folks, everyone's doing, everyone should be doing something. Because the next progression as we draw closer to the presence of God is to serve about the holy things. I mean, we're getting closer to His presence and closer to the Ark of the Covenant, and there certainly should be something going on in our life as we're ministering about in the tabernacle, if you will. So what type of serving are you doing today? Well, you know what? I clean the church pews, or I clean the chairs, or I, I, I work in nursery, or I do this. With Listen, that's all fine and dandy, and I'm all for those types of things, and we have different ministries like that at First Baptist Bible Church, but what impact are you having on the lives of human beings that need to have the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you telling other people about the Lord? Are you inviting other people to church? Are you praying for lost souls to be saved? That's why we're here. That's why we have breath in our lungs. Brother Dan Tidd, you know, a good friend of ours, and he had this six bypass surgery. He should have died. I'm telling you what, he crashed at 3 a.m. and they moved up his surgery. They're like, no, you know, he's unresponsive for a short period of time. And my son Jeremiah said, well, you know, and then they recovered. He recovered and they had the surgery and did the six bypass. He should have been dead. He should have died. But the Lord didn't, didn't take his life. And my son Jeremiah said, well, I mean, just as simple as can be. Well, evidently the Lord's not finished with him yet. And that's the truth. If you have breath in your lungs tonight and you're seated here and you're listening to the preaching of God's word, he's not finished with you yet. You know what that means? You probably ought to start keeping busy or making certain that you're busy. Shining the light of God's word and being that light that he wants you to be in the, in the ministry of the local church. Because the local church is the vehicle that he's using today to propagate the gospel. And so we have, we have to be busy. Are we telling others? Are we praying? There's, there's a reason. There's no reason in the world why this church shouldn't be growing with new visitors and new converts and new workers for the ministry of Jesus Christ because every single one of us, folks, are lights. Every believer here tonight, and we have an obligation to share this light with others. Say, well, I'm busy on Saturday. I'm busy during visitation. Okay, how about Tuesday night? How about Thursday? How about passing out some tracks or canvassing a neighborhood or, or, or taking some tracks with you. I'm telling you what, my goal as a pastor is they have to order tracks all the time. That's what I'd like to do is have to, the track racks out, pastor. Oh, yes. All right, praise the Lord. Order more tracks. Track racks out, pastor. Yeah, amen. The worst thing that can happen is we have the same tracks in the track rack for six months because we're not sharing the light of the gospel. What, what, what are you doing on Saturdays? I mean, are we sleeping in? or, 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 or I understand if we're busy, we have to work and things of that nature, but I'm just saying there ought to be a time in our life, there ought to be some point in time during the week where we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministering about the holy things. All of us are lights. And so as we close this out tonight, I want us to remember this. Part of the priest's requirements daily, if you'll remember, were to trim each lamp every evening and morning to, with those pure gold tongs and snuff dishes. That was their responsibility. Daily, the priest removed any dead material. His, this is what it consisted of. Daily, the priest removed any dead material from the wick that might prevent the light from shining brightly. So as they entered in this tabernacle and they turned left to this golden candlestick, they would prune it, if you will, and they would trim it to make that candlestick burn just a little bit brighter. 
Because if it didn't, as I mentioned, that smoke and that man, as it burns your eyes and it's all horrible. You see, a light left to itself would, without the benefit of being trimmed occasionally, lose its effect. Unless that light's trimmed, it's not going to be where it needs to be. God's will is that we be a light. And sometimes, folks, He's willing to come into our life and do some necessary trimming to remind us of this great responsibility. He's like, you know, you're, you're not even really praying. Really, you know, we're not too concerned. We have this ministry and we have that ministry. We're busy here and we're busy here. And let me tell you what, we're, when we get to heaven, I don't necessarily believe that I'm going to be, I, I, don't know that I'm gonna, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to be judged for how good I can keep a church budget. I don't know how, how I'm going to be judged for how well I administrate and things of that nature. And those things are all part of it. But you know what I am going to be judged for is how much of the gospel of Jesus Christ I've shared with others. Have I willingly been trying to go out there and reproduce and to see someone saved and, and, and brought down the aisle? You know, really, the, technically, the responsibility of the church is not to bring lost souls in to see them saved. Really, technically, the responsibility is for us as believers to go out there and shine our lights and win them to Jesus Christ and then bring them in to get them baptized and to get them discipled. And you say, well, again, I don't know if that's our responsibility. Sheep reproduce sheep. It, it is our responsibility to go out there and, tell the, and share the gospel, but we have to be willing to do that. And so their responsibility was to trim that lamp, and sometimes the Lord does that. To remind us of our great responsibility, He starts doing some trimming. So what areas of your life is God working on? What areas of your life is, is God trimming on, if you will, to get us to shine more brightly? Because one of my goals in life is to shine brightly. I want, I want them to see that there's a difference. You know, I, I, and people need to see that there's a difference in your life. Is Christ attempting to do something great in your life or, or working on you to be a better witness or a better testimony of, for Him? Let's just purpose to allow the light to shine clearly through us that as verse 16 tells us here in Matthew chapter 5, as it says there in verse 16 that we may glorify our Father which is in heaven. Why, why do I want to shine brightly? It's for His glory and for His praise. Because really there's two types of people in this world today. Those who serve and those who are being served. And I'm afraid in local churches today, just like this one, all throughout America and all throughout the world, there are a bunch of people who are just sitting around and being served. They're like, what can the church do for me? What do you have for a youth department? What do you have for this? What, do you, what kind of music? What, what, do you have, what, can, what can you do for me? Listen, it's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about you coming in here and serving Jesus Christ. When people visit First Baptist Bible Church, I want to say, well, what can you do for the Lord? What, what, what are you going to bring to the table to serve Jesus Christ? Are you going to be faithful? Are you re- going to be reading your Bible? Are you going to be spending time in prayer? Are you willing to witness? Are you going to be tithing? Are you going to get involved with missions? How are you going to serve? How is your light going to shine as we strive to serve the Lord together? Because listen, Christ has some expectations for your life and for mine. But I'm afraid in our churches today, we have a lot of people who are just sitting in the pews and just like, well, that was a bummer. Well, if I it was me, I'd have done this. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. Well, I don't know why he does. How about we just get up and serve? You know, I had a man in our I had a man in our church. I'm gonna wrap this up. I had a guy in our church, Brother Rutledge. His wife passed away. Man, it was a bad deal. It was rough, and we buried her. And he used to sit, he and his wife would sit on the front row, right over here, right on the front row. And and uh, his wife passed away. And man, he just stayed at home, and he wouldn't. He started missing church. He started missing church, and and so I went over to his house and I said, Brother Rutledge, you need a man. You need to. What's going on? Man, I could tell he was just heartbroken, and, but months had gone by, and we had tried to reach out to him, tried to reach out to him, and, and, I, and I said, Brother Rutledge, I want you to do two things. And he said, what's that? And I said, I want you to buy a dog. You know, I, right, that's biblical, isn't it? I want you to buy a dog, get a little puppy, you know, for some companionship. And I said, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to come out on Tuesday nights for visitation. I mean, what do you mean? You didn't invite him to church services? Oh, yeah, we've been asking him to come to church. But I kind of went around a different angle. I said, I want you to come to Tuesday night visitation. Oh, why is that? I said, oh, just come out. You can come with me. We're going to make some visits. And he came out on Tuesday night visitation. And you know what happened to Brother Rutledge? He started becoming faithful to God's house again. Because I'm just telling you what, the Lord does something about with our troubles and our difficulties and our struggles when we start stepping out by faith and serving. When you start dealing with the needs of others, God somehow starts to take our problems and alleviate them or to realize it's not so bad because that's what we have been born to do as a royal priesthood once we have gone through the steps and we step into that tabernacle and we start ministering about the holy things is to start serving, to be busy in the work of Christ. That's what he's wanting from us. 
And again, two types of people, serving and, and those who are being served. And I have to admit, I don't mind being served from time to time. I like it. I'm just telling you what, when our family sits down at the dinner table together, we sit together still as a family, and, and we'll pray. And my wife will usually, you know, sometimes the kids will grab, the, and my wife like, and she'll grab my plate. She'll put food on it, you know, and put big helpings because I'm large. And, you know, put food on there, and she'll put it down, and I'm like, thank you. And I'm like, I'm like, thanks, honey. I wasn't dancing. I was just nervous right there. <laughs> and she'll set that food down, and I'll, and I'll say, thanks, honey. It's a little thing, but it's nice to be served from time to time. But listen, folks, come on. There also has to come a time in our life when instead of always being served, we become the server. We become the server. Listen, if you've been saved for any length of time, it's time to place yourself on the altar it's time to visit the, the, the labor of cleansing daily and get busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ in some ministry to let your light shine brightly. It's, not time to, it's, not, it's, not, it's time not to only be fed, but start feeding others the blessed word of God. So where and how is your light shining? Just what ministry are you getting actively involved with at the local church? Are you willing to give that track to that coworker? Are you willing to say, man, I want everyone to pray for my brother or my, or my nephew, my coworker, or my neighbor down the street? Well, how about you go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm just saying we've been built to serve. We've been built to let our light shine brightly. How is your shining tonight? Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence again. Lord, I just thank you for everyone's attention. I know it's a little bit longer tonight. I just ask that you would have your hand upon us and give us that wisdom and direction that we need, Father, to, to, to be found acceptable in your sight. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us and show us those areas in our life that we need to get actively involved with. Lord, I just don't want to be one who's always receiving. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.